live from Tel Aviv, two nice Jewish boys. Hi, I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Noor Menninger. Before becoming a Knesset member in 2015, Rachel Azaria got her BA in Psychology and Humanities and a Master's in Conflict Re- Resolution and Peace Studies. Her master's thesis dealt with how the first Israeli settlers perceived themselves. After graduating, she committed to various social causes in Green Course, where she acted against polluting plants, and other social organizations where her activity focused on aiding women who struggled to receive a get, the state's religious and only divorce, from their husbands. From Azaria's public activities, her road was short to politics, and in 2008, she founded the Yerushalmi political party and was elected to city council. In the following years, she encountered many political struggles on the council, but ultimately, she also served as a deputy mayor of Jerusalem. In 2015, Azaria joined Moshe Kahlon's Kulanu party and was elected to the Knesset shortly after. She served as a Knesset member ever since. MK Azaria joins 2NJB for a political discussion of the current issues which face her and the nation as a whole. This podcast is made in cooperation with the Jewish Journal, www.jewishjournal.com. Also in cooperation with Secret Tel Aviv, Israel's largest online social network community in English. Just look for the group on Facebook or visit them at secrettelaviv.com. Subscribe to Two Nice Jewish Boys on iTunes. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to rate us. And of course, we want to hear your feedback. So let us know what you think in the comments or send us a message on Facebook. Thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm fine. Hello. Hi. So um, let's start by um, asking you, what, what are the top problems that arouse from the fact that Israel is both Jewish and democratic? What do you see as, what do you see as the biggest issue with that conflict? Or if it's a conflict at all? I don't think it's a conflict of uh, Jewish and democratic. I think basically what we're trying to do is to try to design what does it mean, the Jewish state? Okay. Who are we? What do we stand for? Why did we come back after 2,000 years? Not only for security issues, not only just to make it a safe place in the world for Jews. And I think this is something that our generation is struggling with very seriously. So it's not just a result of the Holocaust, running away and finding I, uh, I think what we're trying now, as we're also, um, you know, as the years go by since the Holocaust, and also as it's becoming very safe for Jews in America, Or, you know, in the 50s and the 60s, it wasn't that way around the world. And now, you know, everything's okay. But Uh it's not only that. I think every country, every state has to figure out who they are and what they stand for. And I think that in Israel, every generation deals with a huge challenge that looks almost impossible to solve. And every generation solves it. And I'll give it like a quick historical view, okay? okay? The first generation had to found the state of Israel. It was against all odds. No one thought it would happen. No one thought it would work. You know, it was very cr- a crazy idea. And that generation knew they had to do it. They did it. They established a state, won the war, or at least, you know, won the war enough to have a state. Um, you know, immigrants came from all over the world, founded cities and kibbutzim. And they did that. Next generation, there were the huge wars, the Six Day and the Yom Kippur War. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's the warrior generation. No one thought we would win. No one thought we would be here. Just before the Six-Day War, everyone was sure, you know, those are the last days of the state of Israel. Mm-hmm. The 48 hours, first 48 hours of the Yom Kippur War, we had more than 1,000 um, uh, casualties. 
no one thought you know the 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 minister of security said you know it's the it's the uh, it's the destruction of destruction the, third. Of the third temple yeah, yeah that was like you know that's it it's over the state of yeah. israel was here for 20 years and it's we're, we're 25 years and won't be around anymore mm-hmm. Um, the th- and we did it. That generation knew they had to do it, and they did it. Third generation was the huge um, building of the Israeli economy. Mm-hmm. We had twice our coin was, how do you call it? Inflation. Yeah, the inflation, but we had to re... Remonetize the re- coin. The coin. We had, we had yeah. the lira, and mm-hmm. we passed the shekel, from the shekel to the new shekel. Anyone that comes to Israel, I don't know if people wonder why it's called a new shekel. Why isn't it just called a shekel? Because we had the shekel, and there was such inflation that we had to... Monitor the the coin, and it became the new shekel. Uh, our our um, stock market fell. Mm-hmm. Uh, huge drama. 1985. They sit all the ministers, figure out, and they decide to change the entire Israeli economy from an economy that was built based on agriculture to economy that's based on high tech. M- just, few people know this, but Shimon Peres in those years was prime minister, mm-hmm. and he they saved the Israeli economy saved. from annihilation. Basically, we were on the On, on the verge. On the verge of total economic, like what we see in A Venezuela disaster. today. Mm-hmm. And This Venezuela what, and uh, yeah. in Greece, what we saw almost happen, it was the, it and, was the and, verge. And the action they took those, in those years are being studied today still in the best of uh, economic schools to see how they did it. And being practiced today in our economy. Our economy is based on those crazy years. No one thought we would handle it, and we handled it, mm-hmm. okay? Because right. it's a rare transformation from socialism to capitalism, uh, essentially. It's, it's socialism to capitalism, but it's like to, you know, high tech. It's not even going through, uh, you know, uh, uh, companies or, or um, uh, companies that build electronics. We didn't have that phase. Mm-hmm. We just passed from one to ten. went from farming to the internet. <laughs> no, that's exactly so. Yeah. That's what we did. And then the next generation, that's a generation where now what we have to do is to find a way to bridge the gaps, the economic gaps. Okay. And this is something I'm working on a lot. And the entire Knesset, I feel that this is like the zeitgeist. This is what people realize we have to do. This is what our generation is doing. But what you're describing is a very Israeli concept of, you know, working our... policy one day at a time like thinking only about the okay, next wait, step hold on. So because wait. because mm-hmm. you said about other nations so the United States basically set the rules very early you know they have their constitution and this basically defined but our problem is that no one really did define the rules yet so, okay, right so I'll argue that with you okay because okay? I think that the coming generation and I feel part of this coming generation I think you two also are we're going to have to figure out not only how to bridge the gaps the economic gaps but how to bridge the gaps between the different groups in Israeli society we came after 2,000 years okay people speaking very different languages with very different concepts of how the state of Israel should be we did we, we have Jews and Arabs we'll start with that mm-hmm. we move on we have ultra-orthodox secular traditional just regular orthodox you add on right wing left wing you have um russians uh, russian you have people that people that came from uh from northern africa and people mm-hmm. that came from the united states from europe from every asia everywhere around the world but yeah. you know 2000 years ago we were you know we were one but mm-hmm. for 2000 years we've been traveling around the world and it's very unclear except for escaping the hardship 
and moving on to our dream, what is that dream? Now, I'll argue with you about the United States because I actually think that the American history is very similar to our history in the sense that also people left hardship, went to a dream. Okay, it's not that they came back after 2,000 years. That aspect they don't have in the United States. But they were trying to figure out who they are and what they stand for. And actually, the Civil War, I think that was the time, except for the Constitution, the Civil War was really when they were discussing, discussing what does it mean to be an American? I think the Gettysburg Address is really the moment so where Abraham a, Lincoln... So, we have a wait, 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 hold on, hold on. No, 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 I told, uh, it's okay, it's okay. Okay, because um, you had me worried. <laughs> I know, there were times I was worried when I suddenly realized that link, I started getting worried, but I have an answer to that. Okay. Um, in the Gettysburg Address, um, uh, Abraham Lincoln really described what does it mean, defined what does it mean to be an American. Mm-hmm. And since then, the United States is basically floating on that. They have their 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 uh, challenges these days, but you know it's okay. It's part of life. Every every mm-hmm. few years, you have a challenge. I don't think we'll have a civil war. I think what we're having is a verbal civil war. Okay. You see what's happening in Israeli uh, everywhere in Israeli dialogue. We're in a verbal civil war. Everyone is like doing everything we can to eliminate the other side. Yeah. To imagine that the other side isn't there. Every elections. We try to prove that everyone knows who, uh, let's go like this, Israel, Israel, Israeli um, society is a tribal society. Okay. And every one of the tribes, and I mentioned the tribes before, every one of the tribes goes to sleep every night, hoping that they wake, in the mo- wake up in the morning, one other tribe will disappear. Really? And every one of our tribes knows, ex- and also you know, exactly, one other tribe will a different dis- tribe will, dis- you know exactly who you'd be very happy if he wouldn't be part of the state of Israel. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Come on. Come Na- on. Na'ol. Can I count Na'ol <laughs> as a tribe? I'm not tribe. sure. The Na'olism <laughs> tribe. Uh, I'm not sure. But yeah, this is part. Whenever I talk about it, and I ta- okay. I've talked about it in front of, I don't know, tens of thousands of people, there's always a moment of silence and everyone starts laughing. Okay. Because everyone yeah. knows, everyone has one of these tribes that drive them crazy. Okay. But that's not going to happen. Yeah. But we're trying to behave as if, you know, this can happen. Not disappear, you know. Civil yeah. war, but yeah, you know, if you win in the elections, you can imagine that someone else doesn't exist. Okay, I or, see. and every time that's I what see. we do that we're in this kind of conflict. Tribe, you also mean leftists, right, right wing. wing. Okay, then absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> then I get okay. you. <laughs> okay, so that's I think that's that's part of yeah. the game, and that's what we're working on. And this is the huge challenge that's awaiting us. Uh-huh. And it looks pretty crazy. How will we handle it? Mutual acceptance. It's. It's discussing together. We're used to having fights over everything. If you take, if you asked about um, uh, democracy and uh, Judaism or, you know, state and Mm -hmm. religion. So these are issues that we don't know how to sit down together and discuss. What we know how to do is to fight over. And I think... But that's what I'm wondering is that in the United States, it was very clear from the get-go separation in church and state as part of one of the founding, uh, you know, uh, ideals that America was established on. You don't mix the two. Now, I don't. I don't know if one. I don't know if Judaism is uh, is equivocal to church. Maybe yeah, because to, Judaism is a nation. But you have to remember that the reason that there was this very very clear uh, definition mm-hmm. of the the 
the separation of church and, uh, church and state was because they many of the Americans escaped from England. And that was, you know, a major issue. What kind of church you'll have? So you say, no, we're separating. This is not an issue we're even going to discuss as part of the government. Mm -hmm. So part of it is because of their history. Okay. And I think our history is very different because we need to define what does it mean a, a Jewish state. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure that we need to compare ourselves to the United States. I think what I would look is more like other countries that are more set on a, on religion, more like European okay. countries, and to see how they have done it. And I think this is something that we're going to struggle. They're going to be hard years. I just want to say one thing, that yes. whenever it seems very hard, and there are very hard moments, what I remind myself is the 48 hours on the Yom Kippur War, I think that was real hell. And now it's okay. Don't right. In, in perspective... If they could do it, yeah. if they could do it, we can do this. Uh, yeah, okay. they we'll faced... be tough, but we'll, yeah, we'll okay. be okay. Okay. <laughs> so let's start and break it down, the, is the issues. Um, maybe we can start with the Kashrut, because you've been dealing with that. Um, what's the problem with the Kashrut today? How do you see... How would you define the problem? I think the main challenge um, in Kashrut is that is actually the connection between a state... And Judaism, Kashrut <laughs> became yeah, Kashrut yeah. became something that's under the supervision of the Rabbanut. At the beginning, it was fine; it worked well because the Rabbanut, the Rabbanut, they thought that their responsibility was to give a very give a very basic kosher certificate, and then whoever wanted more than that could, you know, either pay or look for other opportunities. Let's just explain that in Israel, most restaurants and a any kind of business that serves food. Um, relies on being kosher officially otherwise anyone religious will not buy there it's it's more than that that's one issue that's true that's one issue another issue is that you can't sell in a major supermarket anything that doesn't have a kosher certificate uh-huh you're not allowed to so Tief Tom so, play, pays fines? That's, no, that's, that's a supermarket. That's not a, re that's not a regular supermarket. Those okay. are supermarkets that that's like their concept. But in a regular supermarket, you don't have kosher and non-kosher Right, food. you can't mix. You can't mix. So yeah. what differentiates between Tief Tom? Like, is there a official No, what uh, happens is that, yeah. Tief status Tom, for supermarkets? It's not that. It's, it, I don't think it's legislation. I think it's regulation. You know, okay. you just, you, you, in the supermarkets, you can't bring anything that isn't kosher. You okay. can't go you to have regular... One product that is not kosher it's, the whole yeah, you have a problem and i don't know if it's not okay. kosher but you're in trouble okay yeah. it's very different it's a very different concept and the so. only way to get a kosher certificate is by the rabbinut right, which is the actually rabbinut. the state yeah i think you know i'm not sure exactly about the supermarkets i want to be very um precise know, very precise it's a podcast you know i think precision no. it's not <laughs> no 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 i think yeah. i think it has to do with like the kosher the meat if the meat is considered kosher or not if you bring something that's uh, not kosher okay. they'll give you a hard time you won't you can't just have you can't have in a regular supermarket something that's not kosher and basically that means that everything that's imported to israel almost everything is kosher Okay. Which is great, actually. I'm not only because I'm Orthodox. I think that it makes sense that you know things that can be kosher. Why shouldn't they be kosher if we're talking about the Jewish state? I think that's something that makes sense. The uh -huh. problem is that it was taken to extreme, and what happens today is that everything has to be under the supervision of the rabbinut, and we have some, um, you know. A there's a lot of money involved. Yeah, but there's there are like unbelievable situations where, for example, the OU in the United States, or let's give the the like major issue meat. Uh -huh. Okay, meat that when I go to New York, I eat and it's considered kosher. If it's imported to Israel, it's not considered kosher. Really? It will be considered kosher only if the rabbanut in Israel will send twelve people to the um, to the to where they slaughter the animals and supervise there. 
Now, these 12 people, when people. they go, they probably eat the, you know, the regular food that all of the, you know, yeah. Orthodox New Yorkers eat. Yeah, they're not. And it's they're considered not kosher. They're not exporting meat from Israel that they exactly. certify. Exactly. So that's to... considered kosher and they can eat it there. Yeah. But once they bring it to Israel, and the reason is the monopoly that the Rabbanut has in Israel. And they're not willing to open it in any way. And Why? In that, why? Because it's a lot of money and a lot of, you know, job opportunities for specific people. We know that. In fact, now, during these days, there's a huge uh, campaign, huge argument going on in the ultra-Orthodox world on the issue of kashrut. Because everyone realized there's this, um, there's in a major ultra-Orthodox in the, uh, newspaper today, there is an op-ed talking about how it became an issue of money and status. Mm-hmm. Now, this is something you would never hear you know, out loud. This was something that, you know, people whispered. But the fact that even the ultra-Orthodox are talking about it, that means that it's a real issue. And I think it's important because I think everything has to do with state and religion. When people feel that you're just coming to pick a fight, it's very hard to, hard to solve it. But when mm-hmm. you bring something that it's clear that it's a real issue, the kosher, the kosher certificate in Israel, the way, the, the monopoly on the kosher certificate, it's one of the reasons that prices of food are expensive in Israel. Yeah. And, w- and once we say, you know, we're not against kashrut, but it can't be that we're paying more than we're supposed to be paying just because of the kashrut, just because of the monopoly of the kashrut, that, then that's something that we can create But a it discussion. also affects me if I choose to only eat in non-kosher restaurants because maybe the kashrut isn't influencing the price directly of the food that I'm eating, but I'm a taxpayer and my money is going to paying these this this organization that is not thriving on the principles of capitalism and competition meaning it's existing in this in this vacuum and you know we know how economy works and if there's only one monopoly mm-hmm. that's that's controlling kashrut and the prices are going to go up you're going to have inefficiency you're going to have four rabbis that are that are mashgichim uh, that are uh, you no, know monitoring the restaurant or that you pay a, a mashgiach that never comes in but you pay him yeah, for price yeah um, I w- okay, so what we did a few years ago, I think I think it's like five or six years ago, together with Rav Aaron Leibovich, uh, a rabbi from, um, he's originally from Berkeley. Mm-hmm. He made Aliyah many years ago. Um, he, we established what's called a Hashgacha Pratit, which is an alternative kosher certificate, which is orthodox, he's orthodox. And basically what we did is we worked with some businesses in Jerusalem to offer this kosher certificate. It was... Um, at the beginning was very hard, then it became much easier. And what's happening now is there are a lot of discussions also in the Supreme Court and also in the political, um, um, also in, you know, in the government and in the Knesset, uh-huh. how to solve the issues of the Kashrut. And when we founded Ashgachapartit, we said one of the major ideas is to bring the, the, all the problems that there are in the kosher certificate, to bring them, you know, to make them um, known to the wide public. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty amazing. And I want to say that it's, it doesn't surprise me that it was an American Orthodox Jew that, you know, a yeah. rabbi that started this whole, you know, program in Israel and was uh, courage enough to do so. They tend to be very courageous and liberal uh, American Orthodox Yeah, Jews. so, you know, we, we're so very fortunate to have Rav Aaron Leibovich lead it. It's, it's technically illegal, though, yeah? To, to give so a, at first it wasn't to illegal. To use the word kosher. Yeah, so we didn't use the word kosher. We were, used similar words, hashgacha pratit, which means like... Okay. Uh, no, Private uh, caring. Monitoring. Monitoring, yeah, but it's a, but it's a word, hashgacha is a word that's yeah, you know, yeah. known from kosher. 
Um, so we used that, that wording. And then there was, um, it was a big deal. There was discussion yeah. in the Supreme Court. And then they say, you can't even use those words. So now we have different words and, you know, everything. But it, but the concept is there. And also the fact that we're changing the Rabbanut, uh, and the, the kosher certificate in Israel. This is something we know. We don't know exactly how it's going to happen. But this is definitely something that's happening. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I know that from, I, I lived in the States and actually for a period while I was living in the States, I was keeping kosher. And I know that the the kashrut there works, you know, really well. When when there it was heard of that like a rabbi wasn't arriving or the hashgacha, the, the, moni- the, the kosher monitoring of a restaurant wasn't happening. It was a huge outcry. Here it's like every day that, you know. When does the rabbi show up and when does he, you know, there was, I remember there was a restaurant in Atlanta where they found out that the non-Jewish workers were turning on the fire at the beginning of the day, which is one of the rules in mm-hmm. in, in kosher law that you have to have a Jew that turns on the fire at the and beginning of the day. And there was rage. And there was rage. Here, you know, it's just kind of like every, you have this rabbanut, but it doesn't really um, solve anything. But you also have other problems in the rabbanut, which we want to get to, like giyu and divorce, which we mentioned. Um, what are the main struggles that we're facing with, with those things? So I think that basically, if you think of uh, all the issues that have to do with state and church, I can tell you what will be the order of solving of these okay. issues. Okay, one was the mikvaot that we solved, actually, that now every woman has the right to um, to use the... How do you say mikvah? Mikveh. No, there's, there's a word... Uh, Purity pond. Uh, no, <laughs> no, no. I think it's that's not, holy no, water. No, it's whatever. Um, um, the, the ritual bath. Yeah. Ritual I think, bath. Ritual, yeah, I think yeah. that's the word. Um, so mikvaot, and that we actually we had a huge breakthrough with that. The next would be kashrut, okay. and we see that something is happening. You know, the 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 everything is is moving. The mm-hmm. earth is moving. Yeah, the earth is moving, kind of. Feet. Yeah, that's that. Then it will be Shabbat. How do okay. we describe Shabbat? You know, how do we live our Shabbat? How do we enjoy our vacation day? Will it be more in an orthodox manner? How do we work how together? How does it influence businesses? How, and and how, do we, how do we not turn into the only country in the world where people work seven days a week? You know, this is something that we, we have to make sure. Mm-hmm. You know, how do, we dis- how do we work on it and design it together? Without yeah. turning into a country, the only country in the world where one day a week or one and a half days a week the illegal it's no the the city is paralyzed exactly i think that's the challenge yeah and i and think you've been working on it there has been an article today yeah about it yeah you and several few other yeah. Knesset members yeah, have been trying to get into a resolution exactly because the way it is today is that you're either you either want everything open and then fine people work seven days a week and you know that's horrible Okay, we want everything closed, and you know, pu- no public transportation. You can't go visit your grandmother in the hospital. You I'll can't go. To go the beach. You can't go to the beach. You can't do anything. And I think those both are are not the way I want to see the Shabbat in the state of Israel, the Jewish state. I think that's part of the discussion of how we want the Jewish state to be. Mm-hmm. Also, all of these issues are part of this, part of it, um, and therefore, I think the solution has to be um, yes, everything that has to do with um, vacating and uh, culture, mm-hmm. but not everything that has to do with pure businesses. And then there is a discussion, what's considered a pure business and what's considered vacating. And, you know, these are issues that we still need to solve, but that's basically what our uh, legislation, that, that's what we're offering. You are hopeful bill. for a resolution. Well, yeah, I, I think this is the resolution. Right. And by the way, uh, and also we say that every city has the right to do fine-tuning yeah. for exactly what suits the communities that live in the city. And that's how to deal mm. with the fact that we're a tribal society. 
Um, I do want to say that it's based on the Gabizon Medan Accord that was written after the assassination of Rabin, of Yitzhak Rabin. They sat together, a rabbi, a, a Rav Medan, and a Professor Gabizon, and they sat together and they figured it out. And I think it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. It, it's not yet, you know, we're still working on it, but I think yeah. it will happen. That That's like, that's the next generation. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's going to happen in a few years. It will still take a while, but we're on our way. And then the major issue is marriage and divorce. And the last is um, Giyur, is um, Um, conversion. conversion. I think that's what I think, those will be the stages. And at this point, to figure out how conversion will be solved, it's it's even hard to picture it. Now, I know that this is an issue that challenges the American Jewish community, Mm-hmm. obviously yeah and i think this is one of the aspects where we find ourselves um struggling and find ourselves in conflict in conflict this is something i've been thinking about a lot you know how come it's so important for them and we don't even you know we don't even know what we what we think about it we don't even it's not like um kashrut and shabbat that we know already how it will work could you define the problem with conversion in israel the problem is um <laughs> I don't know, I'll just describe how conversion in Israel is. In Israel, you need to prove um, that you're Jewish to marry, to get married. T- till the 90s, you didn't need to prove. Till the 90s, if if no one proved you're not Jewish, like if no one proved that your mother wasn't Jewish, you were okay if everyone just knew you really? were Jewish. So the burden and fell on someone else to prove that you weren't Jewish. Exactly. And since the 90s, since the major uh, immigration, Aliyah from Russia, that in Russia, because of the communist, um, the uh-huh. communism for many years. So it was, you know, everything, it was much harder. And also because the economy in Israel was good. So they said, you know, just everyone will want to come make Aliyah to Israel. It doesn't mean they're necessarily Jews. And suddenly, mm-hmm. and there was the whole issue because of uh, the, the love return says that enough that you have a grandparent that is Jewish, you can come to Israel by There's the love return. There's a gap return. there. There's a and dissonance. there's a gap. One of the reasons for the love return after says because of the Holocaust. Because in the Holocaust, you were considered a Jew yeah. if you had one grandparent. So yeah. here we're like t- taking the Orthodox Judaism and the history of the past 100 years and trying to make them work together. And we, we still didn't bridge that gap. Uh-huh. And so if once you didn't need to prove, you need to, someone had to prove that you're not. Today you have to what's, prove that you are. What's the problem with saying anybody can make Aliyah? What's the problem with saying, you know, who cares? If I mean, you like, think you're cares? Jewish. If you think you're Jewish, you're Jewish. If you don't think you're Jewish, you're not Jewish. If We ask you as an I Orthodox. Think, no, <laughs> I want to I say two things. First of all, there is no country in the world that just says, you know, adios, everyone, come in. Except Germany, maybe. And also there, it's a big issue. Yes. Um, and also, I think that uh, that's one, one thing. Two, our economy is great. A lot of people want to come. I do think, I think something that was undermined over the past, you know, couple of decades regarding these issues is the need of people for identity a major part of who we are is our identity i think even people that say you know why doesn't everyone come in that's part of their identity of being liberal and allowing everyone to come in which is nice but at the end also state has to have their identity and i think this is something that we need to respect much more and have it on the table much more than it has ever been i thought we were all citizens of the world yeah. So apparently, you know, <laughs> that's what your answer some... was in the beauty pageant, but that's that's not always doesn't yeah, always world work. Peace. Yeah. Um, so I do. I, I think that for a few years there was this idea, but every time it arises, you know, at the same time as we're speaking here, just, you know, 
I don't know how many, like a couple of hundred kilometers from here, there's a horrible um, civil war going on in yeah. Syria. And it's a lot about identity. And, right. you know, these issues that we can't ignore. It's I think it's wrong in the long term to ignore because they will always come back. It's major part of who we are, major part of being a human being. And I think that, you know, like liberalism tried to kind of ignore the, the importance of identity. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happens with conversion, I'm going back to your question, what happens with conversion is that to, to convert, you need to convert in an orthodox manner. Mm-hmm. That was the agreement that basically was the political agreement was, on the one hand, the law of return has nothing to do with orthodox conversion, enough that you have a grandparent, but the conversion will be according to the orthodox uh, conversion. So I was trying to think, you know, how come we don't even, it's hard for me even to see the path where we're going, you know, where's the light? What, what, what's the solution? And I think one of the reasons is because that American Jews, you know, for, um, for the past century, Judaism has changed dramatically. The world Judaism, as you know, we had millions of Jews in Europe, not there anymore. Millions of Jews in North Africa, not there anymore. Uh, but we have millions of Jews in Israel and millions of Jews in the United States. Mm-hmm. And also from being a small nation that was, um, you know, uh, no, no one wanted to marry Jews. You know, everyone says, how come for 2,000 years no one married us? Because no one wanted to marry us. Now you know? the Gentiles are fighting to marry <laughs> no. us, you know. <laughs> no, but, you know, there was no intermarriage because no one wanted to marry Jews. And, right. every, you know, everything is changing. So I think this change, this, this shift, and, you know, we couldn't work. And, you know, there were very few... Uh, um, job opportunities and mm-hmm. we were every few years you know uh, there were riots and we had to escape and that was Judaism like 100 to 200 years ago mm-hmm. so now you know over the past century everything has, has shifted and I think that American uh, uh, American Jewish community had time to figure out what does it mean to be an American Jew Mm-hmm. And I think that reform was uh, was established in, established in Germany, but was very much you know yeah. supporting the United States. Conservative Judaism is an American um, form of Judaism, and in Israel, I, I think in Israel what we're awaiting is an Israeli Judaism. Now uh-huh. we don't know what it is because when we look at every one of the generations, we were busy in other issues, and yeah. now we're figuring it out. This is. The challenge of this generation. Now, yeah. I know that American Jews, when they hit there, they're like, come on, seriously? You always say, just wait a bit, wait a bit, and everything will be okay. So, you know, we're waiting, waiting, and nothing is okay. But, I, I'm not, I, you know, when I say it, I, I take it with a grain of salt because I, I hope this is what's going to happen. I hope it's not just, you know, another political. But I do think that we don't, it's not clear to us what kind of conversion we want in Israel. And I think not only conversion, what kind of Judaism. Now, the Kashrut and the Shabbat is a little more clear because we've been discussing it for the past five, six years. And also, I, I mm-hmm. see myself as one of the one of the people that has been pushing to these kind of discussions, yeah. also the Kashrut, also in the Shabbat, you know, to look for solutions. Arav Medan and Professor Gabizon, the Gabizon Medan Accord regarding the Shabbat, they also did a lot of this work and there were like think tanks figuring it out. And I think yeah. this is what we haven't done yet with conversion. But are you pro, for example, uh, the state uh, acknowledging and accepting every gear made, for example, by any stream of Jewish uh, American um, organization? Organization. For example, I'll tell you what I think. I think that if we can have, if I look from Orthodox perspective, okay, if everyone can make Aliyah, if they have one grandparent that was Jewish, so it's very hard to tell someone that decided to join Judaism that if you join Judaism in a different stream, uh, so you know it's not legitimate. Right. But at the same time, what I'm saying, you know, 
I'm saying it because when you asked now, I thought about it. And, you know, these are some ideas I have in my head, but I don't yet know, you know, where we're marching. Like, what is the solution? Mm -hmm. And I think that we, once we know more what kind of solution we want in Israel, I think it would be much easier to discuss it with American Jewish community. Sometimes I think of it of like, you know, a couple that's having hardships in their relationship. And then they realize, every one of them, that it's really that they're not satisfied with their life. It has nothing to do with the couple, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they don't need to go to couple therapy. They who's need, the, everyone needs. Wait, wait, who's but, the but, husband? But, who's but, the wife? But for example, I don't when, know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> when you look at, uh, I don't know, Ivanka Trump, you, mm-hmm. member of Knesset, Rachel Azaria, would, do you recognize her as Jewish? You know what I'm saying? Do you accept those kinds of... of I'm not, I, you know, it's interesting because everyone accepts Ivanka Trump as a Jew in Israel. You know, everyone loves her, um, at least in the right wing yeah. or at least in the orthodoxy. And, you know, yeah. it becomes the Yael Yael. Because we got a president with a Jewish daughter. So. Exactly. By the way, it was the first time that we had uh, that the, both candidates had uh, children married to Jews. Also Hillary ah. Clinton, which shows the change in American uh, Jewish community. You know, how they were, how they became yeah. a very strong community. They married good. I'll <laughs> give them that. So, uh, so your, your question, I, I want to I be, um, be serious about my answer. And I want to say that I think that this is something that we don't know exactly where we're marching. I think we need to have solutions. I don't think, I don't like the way it's happening today. I don't know exactly what You're the solution is. You're ambivalent about those kinds of deals. It's not so much, deal. it's not ambivalent as much as I really, you know, I want to give a real answer. And this is not something that I feel I know the answer properly. Right. But if you're asking about the state of Israel, I think this is something we need to discuss. How far are we taking the, the you know, the issues of Giyu? I, okay, I think discussion. one of the issues is that uh, Kashrut and, uh, and, um, and marriage are all kind of, they remain in the realm of ideas while conversion is... It has a bit of uh, an issue of bloodline in it, you know, because it's more of a physical thing. What's kosher, what's not kosher is kind of like a, an abstract idea. Oh, if you, while... ask them, if you ask the mashgichim, the people that are responsible for kashrut, uh, what's kosher, what's not kosher more, is a big yeah. issue. So I, I want to get to uh, the actual work in the Knesset, because often we hear Knesset members uh, talk about, you know, their beliefs, their political platform, their ideas. But when it comes down to it, the work of a Knesset member is legislation, is to work, to progress and promote bills and to pass laws. And that's the actual, you know, nitty gritty. Um, so w- w- tell us maybe about, you know, the bills that you've been working, the bills that you're most proud of, the bills that you're working towards. What, what is Kulana working on? What is Rachel Azaria working on? So I love legislation. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. We found I, one who loves it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I love it. I mean, that's what I'm there for. If I would just like, you know, to sit around and talk about my beliefs, I wouldn't have to go into politics. You call yourself nice Jewish boys, right? Right. So yeah. I, okay, so I have this thing that when I, a lot of times when I speak, I say, you know, I, I never thought I would be in politics. This is not something I ever imagined. I wasn't born in a very political family. You know, both parents voted, but nothing except for that very Zionist family. My mother made Aliyah on her own when she was 18 from the United States for, polit- for, for Zionist reasons. And my father made Aliyah when he was six years old with his family from Tunis. And, you know, he was in the army. A very, very kind of Zionist, very, very Zionist family. And, um, and when, I, when Jerusalem, when many of the, you know, residents of Jerusalem were leaving, was after the, after the uh, Second Intifada. And also we had the ultra-Orthodox mayor. A lot of my friends were leaving. I was trying to figure out, you know, 
am I leaving or staying? Are we leaving? I was married there, mother, and then my mother of two. Um, and we decided to stay. And then I was thinking, okay, so how do we keep the city pluralistic, vibrant city? And I wanted to found an organization. As you said, I used to run organizations. Then someone said the way to influence is through politics. And my answer was, you know, I'm a nice Jewish girl, you know, pol Israeli <laughs> politics isn't a place for a nice Jewish girl. Uh, but then when I realized that that's really the way to influence, that's when I founded my list for city council, ran for city council. It was as hard as I can't even, you know, describe. Yeah. I was elected as a city councilwoman. Um, at just, you know. In Israel, you sacrifice a lot to become a council member in a city and you yeah. don't even get paid. No, you don't get paid. I was city councilwoman for five years, um, working on As issues. a deputy mayor, you don't get paid? Deputy yes. mayor, after five years, I was deputy uh, mayor. Okay. And that's when also I joined the Knesset. Um, yeah. I became, after a year and a half, I became a member of the Israeli parliament. And something I was working on a lot, except for state and religion, that that's an issue that I'm working on a lot, but that's not a place where you can legislate a lot. It's more kind of yeah. discussions. Mm -hmm. Some legislation, like the mikvaot, we, I passed, you know, I changed yeah. important le legislation, and we have a lot of success in state and, and religion, and, you know, in working outside of the parliament. But within yeah. the parliament, my mm -hmm. major issue, one major issue is the... Is, uh, um, working force and uh, children, you know, how in Israel the percentage of women, mothers of young children that work is extremely high if you compare it to the OECD. Uh -huh. We work many hours, many days, and we have the most children, most babies in all of the OECD, all of the... Um, all of the all of the countries that are like us, yeah, the like developed the, the, the developed countries, countries, the average is one point seven, and we have three point two or three point three. Of of what again? How many children per woman? Uh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. if you say okay, it's because of the Arabs and the and the ultra orthodox. So without the Arabs and the ultra orthodox, we're two point eight, and the average is one point seven. I mean, we have a lot of babies, and when women have a lot of babies, and the percentage of women that work is very very high. So I say that this is when. You know, we need to have legislation that will make it possible. Many, mm -hmm. many, um, many countries, uh, developed countries, either women stopped having babies or they stopped working once they have babies. So you mean, you mean subsidized daycare? You mean uh, So, yeah. Welfare? So what we did is a lot of, first of all, legislation, um, some issues that have to do with vacation days. In Israel, okay. it's, uh, it's mandatory. Vacation days are mandatory. In mm -hmm. the United States, they're not. I know it's very different. Also, um, uh, maternity leave is mandatory. So mm -hmm. also that. So I extended the maternity leave for everyone. I extended vacation days for everyone. Um, what food, kind of Michelle Obama style, what food the children eat in mm -hmm. the schools. So now there's regulation. And from September 1st, all the children in Israel will eat healthy food. Israel is number one. I in the pity them. What? You pity them? Pity them. Yeah. No, you don't, because Israel, we're dealing with um, ma major, major health problems. How do you um, how do you legislate healthy food? I know in the states, by the way, uh, it was uh, an abomination, but they had legislation to uh, to eat healthy in schools, and they had to ha serve vegetables. Pizza was considered a vegetable. No, so none for a of long that time because of the no, tomato no. sauce. I know, no, I know. Um, no, in Israel, it's not that way. We have the Ministry of Health is going to supervise. Mm -hmm. um, there are, it's, everything is organized. Israel, Israel is a much more regulated country than the United States. That's the way we work. Yeah. Um, but a lot of children, a very high percentage of the children were in this, these after-school activities where you eat lunch and there was no regulation and no, no, no definition even what is okay, what isn't okay. Mm -hmm. um, and in Israel, we're dealing with... Um, 
סוכרת, דיאביטיס, דיאביטיס, זה מיוחד שאנחנו נתראים עם זה בישראל. 10% מהאוכלוסייה בישראל היא סיכה עם דיאביטיס. כן, זה מגיע מהאוסטרניזציה. אנחנו נתראים בספציפיק קבוצות בין ישראלית הסוציאלית, יש לנו 5-year-old children עם דיאביטיס של 40-50-year-old אנשים. every year in Israel from diabetes. Yeah, this, this is like our major health issue that we need to deal with. And the fact that the parents can't supervise what the children will eat. And this is what our children are eating every day. Mm-hmm. So this is a huge reg- legislation I passed. When I was deputy mayor of Jer- in Jerusalem, we passed it in Jerusalem. Now we did the, the thing for the entire state of Israel. And, um, other issues have to do with To make it possible for parents to share different benefits that you have as parents today they were either either given to the mother or given to the father uh-huh. and then and they couldn't share they couldn't like if um the sick days of the children I won't go into all the details but it was either the mother took these this benefit or the father uh-huh. and what we did is make it possible for them to share these benefits and that's a major issue when you think that everyone is raising children everyone both parents are yeah. working and how do you make sure so that the mothers are not left behind and Um, so a lot of legislation that has to do with these issues and also I'm very proud that when I joined the the Knesset these issues were not issues that were discussed even though mm-hmm. I've been working on this for almost a decade uh-huh. um, and you know when I ran for city council this was the issue I was working on all everything everything is subsidized already in Jerusalem the after school activities the, yeah. the summer camps and now what's happening that in the government everyone is realizing it and there's a shift over this years this year suddenly there's a shift and everyone realizes it's important it's the way to go so I, so I want okay. I want to ask about um, the your work in legislation and uh, I want to go back to the to legislating let's say healthy food in, in schools mm-hmm. or an after day after daycare um, what is your experience with with lobbying groups in, in this like do you run is that a struggle that you run into when it comes to legislation when passing certain bills there, <laughs> for example so coca-cola in Israel is one of the strongest companies and no, they... so listen the issues I work on are issues that are so important Um, under the radar so new ah. I'm sure there'll be lobbyist groups within you know two three years but since I brought the issue that no one has been dealing with <laughs> so on the one hand there are no lobbyists against on the other hand there's no organization that would give me you know a certificate you're amazing member of the Parliament because you dealt with ABC and no one's done it before because mm-hmm. there are no organizations even that deal with these issues you so, caught them unguarded so I, I kind of feel you know that in this issue I'm a pioneer which is always hard to be you know the first to be there because you have to push through in a few years so there'll also be lobbyists so this is not something I met I have to say that two other major issues I did I'm working on as a legislator I a chair I chair the reform uh, committee which is a committee that was founded founded by the minister of of um, of uh, finance Moshe Kahlon mm-hmm. that heads my head party, of your party head yes. of my party and 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 the, the reform committee has to deal with different issues that have to do with real estate and with banking. So those are places where I meet a lot of lobbyists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I pass huge legislations on these issues. And it's always very challenging. I think that you asked about lobbyists. I think the challenge is to figure out exactly what they want. Because Who, often then? the lobbyists. Because often they would say, you know, I'll give you an example, okay? Okay. We passed uh, uh, the day before yesterday uh, major legislation that has to do with the binary options, which is yeah. an issue that a lot of American Jews know about because when they make Aliyah, they work in it. Right. And also We had an episode peop- about it even. Okay, so I passed it. 
uh, I did it very quickly in a week and a half of work saying in my what? committee, saying that it's illegal in Israel to work on binary options, not only for binary options for Israelis, but also for foreigners, for abroad. Right. I didn't read into it, but I saw a lot of backlash about the legislation that a lot of the parts of it were dropped. So a lot of the parts of it were dropped before they arrived, before this legislation arrived in my committee. Okay. Because of lobbyists? Actually, so not necessarily. We don't know exactly. Um, and it's also before it arrived to my committee. But I want to say what happened when it arrived to my okay. committee. Um, first of all, I have to say the problem with this backlash, and I know what's been written. I also have discussions. The, the enemy of the, of the, you know, very good is excellent. Mm -hmm. And to try to pass a huge legislation just wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. To pass this legislation, you know, I had to work very hard to make it happen. Yeah. Um, and I say it's always to have a foot in the door and then to move on to the next step. And we did make sure that in the legislation, there is part that the Minister of Finance can always uh, enlarge it right, without okay. any discussion. So everything that anyone felt that was taken out of the legislation can always come back if we feel that it's important. Okay. In the legislation, something that we worked on, um, something that, that is that they said, you know, it, will, it, it can um, affect um, high-tech companies. Because they work on different, um, uh, and, you know, different... Um, the investments that go into high-tech companies in Israel, a lot of them come from funds of rich people who got their money from binary from options so, companies. So that's something else. But what I'm saying, they said that, they said that binary options buy some of their... Oh. Um, of their um, Stock shares. Some no, of the shares. no, no, not the shares. They buy the the what the, the systems. The, yeah, the systems oh, that right. are built by the yeah. companies, and then they say it means that these companies, if a binary option company buys the system from a high tech company, so the high tech company is not legitimate because ah. that's what they said. That said in the in the regulation, in the okay. legislation. Now I went over it ten times. I didn't find anything that says that in any way. So I told me no, it's, it doesn't say that. And it took a while to realize that basically what they're doing is that they're trying through this whole issue of high tech to make it basically to turn the legislation to empty legislation because everything they would just say, oh no, it's a high tech company that works a bit okay. with binary option, then it would be okay. So what I'm saying, the problem, the challenge with lobbyists is to really understand what exactly, what is the path they're trying to take you on? What's the route they're really trying, where are they trying to go? Because they throw a lot of smoke bombs. Exactly. Around. And like talking about high tech, I said, you know, everyone likes high tech in Israel. The last thing you want to do is hurt the high tech uh, industry. It's very important to us. But what they do is they use that word. At a certain point, I said, listen, when I was in Jerusalem as deputy mayor, there was a huge campaign we held for high-tech um, startups in, in Jerusalem. Um, and today, Jerusalem is number three in the country for, you know, for startups. It's, mm -hmm. it's considered a very good city after Herzliya and Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, which, you know, it's pretty amazing. It wasn't there yeah. five years ago, a lot of hard work, whatever. So listen, I'm working on this uh, on this uh, legislation. I made sure it's all through everywhere throughout the newspapers. No high tech company called me. No yeah. one said that it's it will affect them. I said, who in the room is a high tech company? No one. So okay, so that means that this is how the lobbyists try to pull you to direction because so, they know that when they say high tech, they're touching a soft spot. Yeah, exactly. They so know you the, need to the know, buttons to push. Exactly. So you need to understand exactly where they're trying to push you and to understand, you know, and then to have your answer. So what does, really quickly, because we probably have to wrap it mm -hmm. up, but what does this lobbying look like? I mean, why not just look at these guys and say, I'm, I work for the people. What do I care about you? Screw you. This is what's right. Fuck this is off, what's lobbyists. <laughs> because in, in that, that, in, in that's, more grotesque terms, but yeah. It's because... Uh, 
as I said, they never come and say, you know, we're trying to help the binary options. They say we're, we're making sure that you're not ruining the high-tech industry. But how do they actually influence members of Knesset is my question. Is it that these they parties are getting... They go and talk to members of Knesset before and then the members of Knesset... Powers they of were persuasion? Too, I don't know. You know, okay. I'm not... I know yeah, how yeah. I work and I'm yeah, very yeah. careful. But, uh, you know, there were two members of the parliament that came in and said, you know, we can't agree to this uh, bill because it's against the high tech. And then I worked very carefully with them to to explain to them, to show them everything. And the second they were with me, there was one second, and that's when I took it immediately to vote. Okay. Wow. I said, you know, I'm not waiting. If they're with me, I don't know what's that. And then there is something that's called a, a revision. Don't go away from my eyesight, you know? <laughs> no, like, that's it. We passed it. Yeah. And then there's something that's called a revision that if you do it, you, you lock the legislation. No one can open it. Half an hour later, we did the revision. We locked the legislation. Wow. We know exactly what's going to happen. It, no one can affect it in any way. Mm-hmm. And this was, you know, I knew where the lobbyists are pressuring. I knew, you know, I managed to bring the members of the parliament with me for these moments. I didn't know which other members of the parliament would suddenly walk in because also they, you know, some are, some, you know, they have their issues, but some also when you tell them this legislation is going to ruin the high tech in Israel, everyone will come in to stop this legislation. And if mm-hmm. you don't know, and if you're not part of all the discussions and if you didn't study everything, so, you know, that's a lot of what the lobbyists are counting yeah. on. Sounds almost like a sport. Like, yeah, you oh, bring the, the parliament. Of course, yeah. It's a game. It's, it's a game. Yeah, it's a game. You know, you have to, it's, it's, not a, it's not a game, but it's like there are rules of how to play. It's kind of like chess, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Chess mate. You have to, you have to, you have to know, sorry, you have to know exactly how to make it happen. You know what your goal is and you have to make sure it happens. Yeah. Before we go, there's one thing I wanted to touch, which is the, the fact that the Israeli parliament, the Knesset, has about 30% women, right? And mm-hmm. 70% men. How is that going to be changed, if at all, um, do you think? Uh, I'm not sure we're even 30%. I think we're a little less. Um, first of all, we're more there than... Hope? Uh, there were more than there, uh, there have ev- ever been in the past. Right. Um, and I, I can say that it is... I, I love it that we're a lot of women. You know, they say that women have cat fights, whatever. It's not true. Wrong mm-hmm. answer. You know, when I'm the only woman in the room, I know it would be harder for me. But when really? Yeah, of course. You know. You and, feel it. Of course. You know, there, it's, you know, I need to fight more. But when there are more women, we stick up for each other. If anyone says anything chauvinist, and it, it happens. A couple of days ago, it happened. You know, like, and I stuck up for another member of the parliament. Uh-huh. Like when you, when a woman starts talking, so they say, you know, but please make it short. And I told the chair, I told him why, you know, you never tell a man keep make it short. Only yeah. after he talks for 10 minutes. And a woman, the moment she opens her mouth, just keep it short. <laughs> so why do we need to keep it short? And then he said, you know, there was a, um, and I didn't say when he told me keep it short. He told a different member of the right. parliament. And this was, you know, a moment that I, uh, I played with it. Um, so I think there are more and more women. There have never been as many women. I think there will be more. And also Israel is pretty good when you compare us to, you know, around parliaments around the world, especially when you think of the fact that we're, um, we're a very, uh, conservative, um, traditional society. I think yes. it's very impressive. Um, and I think also that it's very important that women would be there, not only because, you know, it's just good that they're women member of the parliament. I know that all the issues that I brought, that I'm not talking about the, the real estate and the banking, that those are issues that uh, the parliament has always been dealing with. And now I'm, de- you know, I'm leading the, the committee, but uh, chairing the, the committee. But everything that has to do with working, for, working, right. working force and parenting, those were issues that were not being discussed. 
And the fact that I was a member of the parliament, I changed it. And no one did it before. So, so you, you have see to have women. young, you have to have women and you have to have young women. Yeah. And Israeli politics is basically men and the more older men. We need right. more youngsters, more women and more younger women. And mm-hmm. I think then a lot of the issues that are hard on Israelis will be actually solved. Okay, that was very enlightening and inspiring. Thank you, Thank you so Thank much. You so Thank much you. for joining us. Great. Very um, interesting. Uh, Eitan, see you next week. We do have ah, yes. two things to mention really right. quickly, which is um, uh, w- we have two spo- uh, not sponsorship. We have two cooperations, two people that we work with, two organizations that we work with. One is the Jewish Journal, which is a great uh, source of news, Jewish news, especially um, which is based in L.A., the Jewish Journal of Greater Los Angeles, and the other, corp- uh, they have great articles, check them out, Daniel Barron is a journalist there. Interesting. Very, very good source of news, and the other one is... Secret uh, Tel Aviv, yeah. which is a Facebook group of 160,000 people, uh, mostly English speakers, they discuss about the cool things to do in Tel Aviv, tips, advice, and there's also a website, secrettelaviv.com. Is there also a Secret Jerusalem? I, yes, yeah. there yeah, is actually. It's a oh, great, wow. Yeah. It's about it's time I get to know them. Probably yeah, more yeah, yeah. secretive than Secret Television. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that is it. Thank you so much. You're Remember welcome. Thank Knesset you. Azaria, Eitan. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.